Blog Talk Radio. I hate you both. I've hated you ever since I can remember. I hate you, and I wish you both had cancer. Cancer? Yes, in the head. Somebody's got a case of the Mondays. <laughs> Hello there, children. Hey, hey, kids. <laughs> People seem to like me because I am polite and I'm rarely late. And now, the hosts of the Stupid Cancer Show, Lisa Bernhard and Matthew Zachary. Woohoo! Monday, January 24th, and welcome back to Season 8 of the Stupid Cancer Show, The Voice of Young Adults with Cancer. I am Matthew Zachary, a 15-year young adult survivor of pediatric brain cancer. And I'm Lisa Bernhardt, 15-year young adult breast cancer survivor, and we are your hosts for The Stupid Cancer Show. Got cancer? Under 40? Sucks, huh? Well, get busy living, because The Stupid Cancer Show is here to change the world one keto infusion, or in tonight's show's case, one bone marrow transplant at a time. That's right, because tonight's show is Marrow Myths. Our roundtable, first in the advocate spotlight, Amanda Zwilling, young adult cancer advocate, Katharina Harf, COO and co-founder of DKMS Americas, Alina Supernova, business development in DKMS Americas, Emily Peterson, senior resource development specialist, office of patient advocacy at the National Marrow Donor Program, and Mary Hallett, Regional Director, Recruitment, National Community Development at the National Marrow Donor Program. As a reminder, folks, this broadcast is a production of the I'm Too Young for the Cancer Foundation online at stupidcancer.com. We help young adults fight cancer every day and are bringing the cause of cancer under 40 to the national spotlight where it belongs because it's not okay that 70,000 young adults are diagnosed with cancer every year. So hello, my friends, and welcome back to yet another fun-filled and exciting Run Through the Hay on tonight's Stupid Cancer Show, where remission is not a cure, and survivorship is all that matters. And a Stupid Cancer welcome to all of our first-time listeners on the Blog Talk Radio Network and iTunes. Don't forget to download us automatically on iTunes as we broadcast live tonight from the Chemo Deck, our fabulous studio in downtown Manhattan. And, of course, the Stupid Cancer Show has a live interactive concurrent chat feed. During each broadcast, we invite you to join in on the fun, connect with our friends, and ask questions of our guests. And we'd like to welcome our in-studio guest tonight, Mr. James Manning, young adult survivor, member of the New York City Planning Committee. Welcome aboard, James. I know you're not Hello, in the mind, but he's waving for radio. So, anyway, I guess that's it. <laughs> I'm going to give my, myself an applause. Well, wave back for radio. Yes. Yeah. He's a lovely lo- young man. Yes, lovely, lovely. 
Second time you've been here. Tip your mic up a little bit. You know, this mic, I'm having a few issues here. Yeah, tip, my it, mic tip up. it up a little. No, the physical mic itself. Yep. Yeah. No? No. All right. It involves a whole you're a little of screwing and a thing in a here if I go down like this and I eat it. No, because you're talking into the top of the mic. I love that our audience is listening to the tech yeah. support right now. This is a thrilling opening That's to better. the show. That's better. We're a yes. professional production, ladies Face and gentlemen. pressed against the... Yes. Screen yes. of the mic. All right, we'll 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 fix it in post production. <laughs> <laughs> so how are you, Lisa? What's up? I'm great. How are you? I am fantastic. Yes. I had a uh, wonderful morning freezing my ass off. Yes, we all did. When I woke to seven degrees. You know, we're over this already. I'm done with it. Enough. I'm done with seven degrees. Where's the Where's the uh, I'm too young for this Miami office. Where's the L.A. office? I'm gonna go for Pago Pago. Pago, <laughs> I have no idea where, where it is. Hell? I just want to be there because it's not here. The Seychelles? The Seychelles Islands, yes. Yeah. The Seychelles. How about exactly. those? Can we base the home office out of there? How about Tonga? Tonga. <laughs> yes. Let's, what's the temperature in Tonga right now? I'm going to find out. Above seven, second. probably. Let's see if someone in the chat room wants to tell us what yeah. the temperature in Tonga is. Anybody Tonga. from Tonga? <laughs> Tonga weather. Google. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's brutally cold here. And, you know, the thing is, we've had so much snow. I heard, actually driving into the to the show uh, tonight, that New Jersey has already used up their budget for snow removal. And we've got at least two more months of winter. It's 83 in Tonga. <laughs> <laughs> they haven't used up their budget for snow removal. No, but I can tell you, that, uh, my street is still a nightmare in Brooklyn. And for those of you that didn't listen last week because you don't like the show, my street was actually on the cover of the Daily News. Is that right? As the worst plowed street in Brooklyn. I did not know that. My street, 94th Street in Brooklyn, worst plowed street. It was the poster street for how horrible a mess. Well done, Matthew. Yes. Yeah. I know. Uh, location, location, location. Every, you know, everything is just a sheet of ice where I am, yeah. an hour north. It's, but you live in the tundra. I do. I live in the Arctic tundra. <laughs> actually, my car door was completely frozen. You couldn't even push the button in unlocked. From the outside of the door. Really? Outside of the car, yeah. Did you have to get like a rubber mallet and smash (laughs) the car? Yeah. I just had to break the window, but then I was freezing driving down the highway with no window. (laughs) Yeah, that wasn't very smart. Oh, you were that person with the clear plastic tape over your door. I saw you. I saw you. Very nice. Yeah. Way to improvise. I'm a a little slow. (laughs) You have to be be on a show. (laughs) But I I had a really – I want to give a special shout-out. I hope we have a lot of new listeners tonight um, on the air. I did a keynote presentation on Friday. Yes, you did. Um, very prestigious, real honor and humbling experience. Uh, for those of you that are not aware, Penn State, and I'm obligated to say, we are Penn State. We are Penn State. So they, they taught you that? They taught me that. Because it's funny because you don't know shit about sports. I know I nothing about sports. Because we're In fact, not... I made a joke. I made a joke about that. But I was invited to keynote. Penn State has an event every year called the THON. T-H-O-N. Right. It started out in the 70s as a dance-a-thon to raise money for the Pediatric Cancer Center in, at, at Penn. And now it raises like $8 million a year. It's the one thing every student gets involved with as an undergraduate. So you showed up and you said, I thought this was the thong. Yeah, right. No, 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 no. <laughs> There's no G at the end? No, that's Kenny's job. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I, I, th- there's a New York City chapter of Penn State alum who hosts this thing called the Hope Gala every year. This is a third year. And they raised a couple of thousand dollars, twenty, thirty, forty thousand dollars, which is great. 
but it's local Penn State, not affiliated with the THON, but they donate all the money to the THON. Right. I'm getting a tongue thrust problem mm-hmm. here. The THON. Uh-oh. In any case. So I was invited to keynote at the THON event at Capital on the Bowery. Sure. Friday night. Remarkable. That's a swanky place. Amazing. Extraordinary. Yeah. Extraordinary, extraordinary place um, uh, to be at to begin with, but to uh, be able to speak to this crowd was extraordinary. They featured a young man, and this is where I'm getting – there is a point to the story besides just the fact that I did okay. this. And now the Penn State crew were like Kool-Aid drinking stupid cancer fans now. That they featured a family, a young boy, who was treated at this cancer center. His name was uh, Dylan Mosier. Right. He's 11 now. He'll be 11 really soon. He's in treatment for six years, diagnosed with ALL at the age of four. Wow. And it is because of money from Thon that they donated to the cancer center that his treatment was free. It cost his parents nothing, and they were able to survive and thrive through this, and now he's an amazing little kid. Oh, wow. The kicker is his parents got a copy of my album <laughs> 10 years ago. Is that right? Before he was born. Yes. That, scribblings? Which scribblings. One? Wow. They came up. I'm like, hi, I'm Matt. I'm Keno. And you're like, yeah, we know you. So how did they come across your album? They were The mother is uh, used to chair uh, American Cancer Society really for life events. Mm-hmm. And back in the late 90s when all the drug companies were buying like tens of thousands of copies of my CDs and slapping drug labels on them, she got a copy. Mm-hmm. Some copies landed at this Relay for Life event. So she's like, yeah, I know you. How? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, so it was just a remarkable sort of circuitous serendipity. You to, felt to, like Neil Diamond or one of your heroes. A little right? bit, a yeah. little bit. But she didn't ask you to sign her panties or anything weird like that like they do with Cracklin' Rose right? and get on. Bo- what? No, okay. <laughs> what? So that was... <laughs> so, or a thong. Yes, and then, then there was a thong. Yeah. So I want to give a special shout-out. It was a really, really... Jay, uh, Jay Paterno and... Uh, now, who's Jay Paterno, the son of? Jay Paterno is the head coach, head quarterback coach for the Penn State, whatever they are. And who's his father? I have no idea. Joe Paterno, legendary football coach for Penn State, that's, Matthew. That's the Joe Paterno. That was the guy that was there. No, Jay Paterno, his son was there. The father is Joe Paterno. Maybe Joe was there. I'm confusing He's, everything. Joe's a really famous dude. Then maybe it, it was to, Joe. I, see, I, this is what. No, so this, my, no, my sports I, joke. This is this is this is Matthew is brilliant at many things. Sports is not one. No, of no, them. no. And I'm aware of that. My joke when I got up to speak was that I went to the only Division One college without a football team, which was Binghamton, and our mascot for the basketball team was a bearcat, huh. and I don't know what that is, so I said man bear pig instead. <laughs> Well, no. So you, I think the Jay, the son, was there. He's also a coach. Okay. But Joe's like the big maca at Penn State. Okay. He's the big football coach. Well, I can tell you now because I'm friends with the guy on Facebook. I'll just like Paterno. <laughs> of course you are. I don't think Joe Paterno, the dad, is on. You're probably not friends you're with right, him You're right. It Facebook. is Jay Paterno. Yes. Okay. I know I'm right. Okay. That's all I know. I'm just saying. Okay. I'm just saying. Okay. Yeah. And Sean Shapiro, who is the chairman of the committee that invited me. So me- mega shout out. I'm now a Kool-Aid drinking fan of the Thon. And Penn State and whatever sports well, you guys nice might that, play. It's nice that our little old um, organization here gets invited to big fancy things. It was nice. I brought Kenny and Aaron, and it was yeah. Where was I? Hello. Where was my invitation? Uh, well, I was. Jess was coming, but she canceled at the last minute because I have twins. That doesn't answer my question. Well, I could have called you up well, and said slap I, on some uh, makeup and, uh, and take the two-hour trip uh, down e, from uh, Gatos where you live. Uh, mm, hmm. Okay, offline chat. Oh no, I'm in trouble. <laughs> I'm in deep, deep trouble. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So anyway, going, going Moving forward. Moving right along. Moving right along. Um, literally, she did cancel like that night. So. Yeah. Don't don't feel my hate. <laughs> <laughs> um, so 
so anyway, that was what was going on there. And um, I guess the biggest news before we get to uh, talk to Amanda here is we officially launched the website for the fourth annual OMG Cancer Summit, which is a big deal. Big deal. Registration launches on the 1st, but we launched the site today so people could get a glimpse of who we have as keynote speakers, who's coming on as panelists and guests. Um, We're having a booze cruise. Everyone's going to find out about that. And to really get the buzz going for this week where people are going to just line up and want to register. We're having a booze cruise. Yes. We like to live healthy. Yes. You don't have to drink, but there is an open bar. Yeah. And it was by popular demand. I'm sure it was. So we are listening to you people out there, and we are listening to you hard with ice on the rocks. Okay. Yes. That was. You don't. You don't. You don't handle your booze, though. I do not drink. Yeah. I do not drink. So. Um, well, you. I don't not, drink anymore. That's not entirely true. My dad says I don't drink any less. I've Actually, our that. first date, I got pretty tanked. So. You did. Yeah. Because you had like a drink and a half. You intimidated you were, you were, me. You were I'm like meeting on a the Fox floor. News correspondent. Oh, Come yeah. on. Yeah. Yeah. You had about, yeah, a beer and a half, and you were. <laughs> That's all I needed. Slurring Actually, I had, a, I had uh, one and a half glasses of Pinot. <laughs> I was trying to man you up with a beer and yeah, a half, and you had to come clean with the Pinot. No. I'm, trying to help, I'm trying to help you out, dude. The truth is, I really had Zima. Zima. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. All righty. Well, anyway, right. let's, 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 this witty banter is giving me a headache. <laughs> All right, let's let's bring out our our spotlight here. Us. All right, All righty, you're up. Amanda's willing. Graduated from Duke University, Duke Blue Devils. Wow. In 2009, in November of 2008, her best friend from Duke, Lindsay, was diagnosed with non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. During the spring of their senior year, Amanda and Lindsay organized a Crunk for Cancer fundraiser for I2Y. That's us. The event had over 300 guests and raised around 12,000 bucks. That's not too shabby. Last year, when Lindsay found out that she'd need a bone marrow transplant from an unrelated donor, Amanda and some of Lindsay's other friends organized bone marrow donor drive around the country with DKMS America. They raised 40,000 G's, 40,000 G's, $40,000, and registered over 2,400 new donors into the register. Their drives have resulted in 19 matches to date. We're thrilled to have her here. Please welcome Amanda's Willing. Right to my left here. Yes. We like when we have in-studio guests. This is great. We do. So, obviously, your bio discussed how you got involved, but I want to understand we have a lot of people coming into our community that are not survivors or supporters of young adult survivors. Can you talk to us about what it's like to be on the outside looking in at someone our age going through this? Sure. So, obviously, when my best friend got diagnosed, um, I tried to be there as as much of a support network as I could be, for someone who is going through these things that I really couldn't understand as sympathetic and compassionate as I was. Um, And, you know, I would ask her all the time what I could do to be what she needed in a support network. And ultimately we decided together that she needed to find um, something that she could be proactive about. Um, And we decided that we were going to have a fundraiser together as a way of, you know, just having a real impact in this community. Um, and she found I2I just Googling and whatnot. Um, and as her friend, I think it was an amazing resource for her to fill the gaps of what me and my friends and her family couldn't. Um, 
So what did you learn from that experience if you were to tell folks out there who want to do something similar for their friend or family member in need? What would be your recommendations, and what did you take from it? Um, you know, so when Lindsay first di- got diagnosed and she was in the hospital, it was it was actually easier for us as friends. I just, whenever I didn't have class, I would just go to the hospital, and if she was asleep or we couldn't see her, I would sit in the waiting room, and when she was up for a guest, I would go inside the room, and sometimes she, we would just watch TV side by side and not even talk, and sometimes she would want to talk about real things, um, but I think for me, the most important thing for Lindsay was to not make it all about her cancer. You know, we would always bring her magazines. I still, I send her, like, clothes and sunglasses and magazines and movies. I get bootlegs for her all the time since she can't go to the movies. And I think that the biggest part of being a friend of someone our age that has cancer is to remember to just be their friend and not that it's all about their cancer. And be willing to get bootlegs for them. Yeah. Right. <laughs> be willing to break the law. <laughs> that, we admire that. Um, but was that a learning curve for you to, sit, to know what to talk about or what not to talk about, or was it because you could you just read that vibe instantly? No, it's absolutely a learning curve, especially um, selfishly, I guess you could call it. I want to know what's going on with her in terms of her cancer, but... And it was, again, easier when we were in the hospital because I would be in the room and a doctor would come in and talk and Lindsay wouldn't kick me out, so I would know what was going on. But once she left the hospital, and especially, so we've all since graduated and now we're all in different cities, so when I call her, I've learned that she'll, you know, it's not the best thing to talk about her cancer all the time and lots of people... Would she just say to you, hey, I don't want to talk about this right now? Or mm-hmm. how did you learn that? She is like that. Um, and, you know, I let, yeah, she, she'll tell me, but also I try to just let her talk to me. So often she'll bring stuff up and then she'll say, I don't, uh, let's not talk about this anymore. And then I just tell her about, you know, whatever I read on Gawker that time. <laughs> right, right, exactly. Yeah. No, you, you read Jezebel, admit it. I do. <laughs> so does Lindsay. Exactly. Let me ask you a question. We, I know we talked about this, you know, offline when I first met you. Duke really stepped up to the plate. I mean, going back to the whole Penn State thing, college campuses can really get their mojo on when they wrap themselves around a cause. But on the flip side, were there any students or friends at the university when she got sick who just abandoned and didn't want to deal with it? Did you did you go through that experience, either of you? I don't think with our group of friends she did. I think she was really fortunate, is really fortunate. And as a not cancer survivor, I'm really fortunate in the same way to have the group of friends that we do. And, yeah, Duke was insanely and is still insanely supportive. And that's that's fantastic. Very, very lucky to get that. Very, very lucky. So tell everybody where you're both based and how Lindsay's doing now. Sure. Um, I live here in New York. Um, I'm doing research right now. Um, and Lindsay lives in Ohio, and she was at the Cleveland Clinic right now. Right. Um, she's hanging in there. Great she's place. Okay. Yeah. yeah. She's had She had a bone marrow transplant from an unrelated donor through DKMS. Right, right. And you're doing research about? Um, pediatric psychiatry and neurology. Wow. Yeah. Because the world needs more therapists. 
<laughs> no, New York needs more therapists. I told you I was going to goose you. No, but she's at NYU, and she, she's doing some great work, and, and she's a very unambitious young woman because she's only going for her Ph.D. Right. Right. Slacker. Slackers. You and people. P- pediatrics, cause exactly. because there are plenty of parents out there screwing up their kids. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I mean, I wasn't talking about I've only company spent, I've only No, I've only been so – we're going to have an offline chat now. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I've only been screwing up my kids for nine months. So <laughs> I can't even think of where the bell curve is going to go with this, but right. whatever. Anyway, but I, I'm just – I'm humbly impressed, and I stand in awe of, of your passion for your friend. I didn't have a lot of friends that did this for me. Uh, in fact, I didn't have any friends that really, like – First of all, I was—I had just graduated from school. All my friends went to graduate school. Like you said, you went around. All your friends went across the country to their respective homes. I didn't have that person who was like, "I'm going to help Matt. I'm going to be there all the time." And this story, it, yeah, I—I I was one of those people that like, "Where's everybody else?" And yeah. this is so deeply meaningful to me that, that she has you and you have each other. Mm-hmm. And I hope she's listening. We love you, Lindsay. We're so sorry you couldn't be on the show tonight. We are. But I think it is, I think you're right. I mean, I think it is hard, and there still are people who just don't know what to say or think that if I don't get involved, maybe that's what they want. Or it's, it's, I think sometimes people surprise you in a good way, and sometimes people surprise you in a not so good way. Right. The people that you think will be there don't know how to deal. Right. Right. But, but that's just really rocking. Yeah. So, I, do you have any more plans to do more um, marrow drives or? Up for us. I mean, not putting you on the spot on purpose, of course, because you're sitting here in front of me on front of half a million listeners. But in any case, yes, um, yes, I've been very busy applying to 22 grad schools this year. But stop being so smart. (laughs) Just 22? (laughs) They're so competitive. Um, But yeah, this spring I've definitely been talking with my friends in New York about doing something. I'm not 100 percent sure what yet, you know, but. Something. All right. Well, we're doing our ungala on June 9th. We're announcing that here on the air tonight live, the Stupid Cancer Ungala, fifth annual Stupid Cancer Ungala. We are an old group. Finally, we can say fifth annual and feel old. Yeah. June 9th, 2011, at Taj Lounge. You've been there. I have. You're coming back. Yes, yeah, you are. Of course. In fact, you were, you're, that picture of all the, your friends that you bought is one yeah. of our like poster child pictures that we use for the organization. Look what we do. Yeah, so... <laughs> So thanks for bringing your friends and posing. Of course. <laughs> we, we should ask the one last question before before Amanda goes, though. Um, how can you quickly, if somebody wants to do uh, a benefit or a drive or somebody for a good friend, I mean, and they feel that it's a little bit daunting to organize something. Good question. Can you give them kind of bullet point three kind of helpful ways to go about it? Sure. So, I mean, in a college town, we had the resource of, lots of people that we knew would come, um, although we were very nervous that people weren't going to come. But, um, you know, I think that people are very compassionate. So you can find bars that will help you, you know, either give you, at least give you the space for free, let you charge a small cover at the door. If you guarantee a certain number of people, they'll give a certain cut of their proceeds for the night. So I think just going into your community and finding someone who's compassionate, whether it's because they have a personal connection or they're just nice people, I think that's really feasible. We've had a few events now to benefit both I2I and DKMS and have found very willing people to help. What about advertising the event to actually get bodies there? 
we mostly did everything through Facebook and social networking. Really? Okay. Like sending blast emails to our address books, um, you know, because we were trying to spend zero money. Right. Um, yeah, and I, but, I, you know, I think if you're in a local community, publications will help you. I had a harder time with that um, being in New York City. Yeah. But, yeah. Great. Well, it's fantastic. I want to thank you for being here. You're sticking around, so you're not going anywhere. We also locked the door, so you can't leave. So, Amanda's willing. And she's chained to her chair. Yeah. She's deodorizing herself. What did we do to her? All right. She has an ankle bracelet on the tracker now. Yes, one of those. That's right. Your head explodes if you walk to it for like it's soft. All right. Like Martha Stewart. What? Like Martha Stewart, the ankle bracelet. The ankle bracelet, exactly. If you had Martha Stewart's money with an ankle bracelet, I'd take the ankle bracelet. Sure. Exactly. Agreed. All right. So let's hit the news up here. Hello, I'm Kent Brockman, and this is I on Cancer. Just the facts, ma'am. All righty. During this part of the Stupid Cancer Show, we make a series of special announcements to let our listenership know about a whole bunch of stuff, free stuff that we don't want you missing out on, like conferences, happy hours, retreats, scholarships, kayaking trips, support groups, concerts, and more. Also, pub crawls and summits and radio shows and whatnot. If you have something coming up that you'd like to hear broadcast during this segment, send us an email to info at stupidcancer.com. That is info at stupidcancer.com. Alrighty. Head on over to events.stupidcancer.com, your one-stop shop calendar, for all events Stupid Cancer, including all events First Descent, the uh, premier retreat organization for young adults, uh, stay in the loop, keep in touch, because something could be happening in your neck of the woods, and we don't want you missing out. Here's a call to action. Please support Team Stupid Cancer, our running team for the New York City Half Marathon, by visiting TeamStupidCancer.com and making a donation towards our runners' fundraising goals. All right, we mentioned before we launched the OMG Cancer Summit website, and registration goes live next week on February 1st at 12 p.m. Eastern. Visit omg2011.org and stay tuned on Facebook and Twitter. That's OMG2011. All right, tomorrow night and every Tuesday, our partners at the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society present YA Connect, a free interactive webcast supporting young adults affected by all cancers. Check it out at lls.org slash ya connect and we got some stupid cancer events coming up in your neck of the woods January 27th in New Orleans February 5th in London, Ontario, Canada Johnny Immerman and I are putting together the first inaugural Chi-Town Happy Hour in Chicago on February 10th we got February 24th in Buffalo, New York and our friends, again, at First Descent are now opening their registrations for their retreats and their camps all year for 2011. Get your butts to firstdescent.org and sign up today. Our partners at Crime Work First Descent. And that, my friends, is your Stupid Cancer News. <laughs> Try to imitate that guy. You, you are officially replacing that sound by now. <laughs> Okay. All right. Do I get a raise? Um, we both have to have offline conversations. <laughs> All right. 
Alrighty, we have a whole insane group of guests tonight in a round table to talk about bone marrow, transplants, myths, what you can learn, what you can do. That's right. And how to make a difference in the lives of others like Amanda did with Lindsay. From DKMS Americas, Katarina Harf is co-founder and executive vice president. Under her leadership, DKMS has registered over 170,000 bone marrow donors in the U.S., and as a result, has matched more than 300 donors with patients in need. Her determination to recruit as many donors as possible comes from losing her mother to leukemia at the young age of 14. And joining her, Alina Supernova has been part of DKMS since 2007 and has worked in several areas of the organization, including transport, donor recruitment, and marketing contributing to its growth. Anyway, from the National Marrow Donor Program. Emily Peterson is a Senior Resource Development Specialist for that organization. She has developed award-winning educational resources for transplant patients and their families. Those include videos, print materials, teleconferences, and online tools. She has a BA in Sociology from Hamline University in St. Paul, Minnesota, and Mary Hallett is the Regional Director for Recruitment and Community Development at the National Marrow Donor Program. She is responsible for recruiting individuals to the Be The Match Registry and engaging the community to support the NMGP's mission. As a BS from the University of Minnesota in Minneapolis, two Minnesota college graduates. All right, please welcome DKMS and NMGP. Ladies. Emily Mary, how you guys doing? Two on the phone, two in studio. Emily, Mary, you on the line? Hello. Well, I got them live here. Oh, there we go. Let's do this. Matthew? I think I think I clicked the wrong buttons. How about Emily, Mary, you now? I'm here. This is Mary. Hi. All right, we got it. I clicked Hi, the wrong button. Emily. It is a gremlin tech nightmare on the show today, <laughs> but welcome aboard. Thank you for being here. And Katarina and Alina, you guys sharing the mic? In yes. studio with us. Welcome aboard. Thank you. Um, I have to tell you, we did a poll. This is all, all the guests. We did a poll of our listenership in the fall, asking them what topics they would like to see discussed on our show this season, and bone marrow was number one, hands down number one. So I know, and we'll be discussing this as we get into our conversations, that there's still a stigma. It's still a, a, a challenge. There's still a major progress that has to be made in the understanding of bone marrow transplants, but it is clearly in the mind's eye of our listenership and the general public at large. So let's start with the DKMS ladies and tell us a little bit about – that's what I'm going to call you tonight, the DKMS ladies. Uh, let's let's talk a little about um, – Opposed to the DKNY ladies. <laughs> the DK, Donna Karen, yeah, exactly. They could be in DKNY, though. They, you, might we don't be wearing know. DK, yeah. you might all be wearing DKNY, but that's fine. Um, <laughs> let's, just, let's just start the conversation with something simple. What is – a bone marrow transplant. So bone marrow transplant is when um, a patient, you know, um, when their immune system is not really working and um, producing cancer cells, and then when chemotherapy and other therapies fail, um, then oftentimes the doctors basically as sort of the last resort, you know, use a bone marrow transplant. In some cases, they, doctors know pretty early on when the disease is so resilient that they would need a bone marrow transplant. And a transplant is basically when um, healthy blood stem cells from a matching donor are infused into um, a patient. And really what it does is 
it gives people a second chance at, at life. It uh, replaces the immune system of the patient. So it's really a miracle because you need to, you know, it's, you need to really look for your genetic twin. So it's incredible when it happens and when a patient finds a matching donor. And explain to some folks out there who may not know this, what exactly does that entail for the patient, the person who needs the bone marrow transplant physically in terms of the procedure? Yeah, I mean, it's a very, very intense um, regimen that patients have to go through because um, before um, before they receive the transplant, they usually get high dosages of chemotherapy and cases also radiation to basically eradicate all the cancer cells. But while doing that, you also destroy all the good cells. Um, and, you know, you, you hope for all the cancer cells to be destroyed. There's always, there are always some lurking around and left. But, and then you, you, you basically give the patient the new donor cells in the hope that a new immune system grows. And uh, then going out to uh, Emily and Mary out there, you know, National Marrow Donor Program, very well-recognized organization, institutionalized for many, many years, doing great work. Talk to us about what challenges you guys face on a day-to-day -day basis in executing your mission. Um, well, you know, our, the, the challenges that, that we tend to face, it, it's the lack of awareness. And um, many people don't know of unrelated bone marrow transplant unless they encounter uh, someone that they know who has leukemia or lymphoma and, and may need a transplant. So we're continuously coming up against um, just a lack of awareness. And then when people are aware of bone marrow transplant, the first reaction is, oh, boy, that's got to be painful to be a donor. And uh, I tell you, Hollywood has not done us any favors whatsoever. Why um, is that? But that's, Have there been, like, myths? Uh, in tonight's show is about myths. Have there been misleading plot lines? Oh, yeah. Well, go and oh, yeah. talk I mean, about that. I don't know if you have, have seen the movie Seven Pounds, but there's a scene where Will Smith is donating bone marrow and he's in excruciating agony and um it just that's that's not how it works at all er had an episode a number of years ago where they did a bone marrow collection in the emergency room and it, it just hollywood just hasn't helped and um in fact that's really not how the whole process flows um it it's um it it's a process that is uh, the donors are very very well cared for Donors may be uncomfortable, but they receive, um, especially if you do a bone marrow collection, they receive anesthesia. It's a surgical procedure. They wake up with a stiff back, but, you know, something that resolves within a few days, and, um, and uh, you know, that's it. It's, it's not as Hollywood portrays it to be. Have you ever seen Hollywood or anybody else in any other sort of video get it right? Is there something that we can see where it is correctly portrayed? Everything is Deborah Winger. In terms yeah. of endearment. <laughs> Isn't that the truth? I mean, yeah. for all um, the many medical shows that have been on for years and oh, years yeah, and no, years, and films yeah, as well. They just, yeah, they, they just don't do the medical establishment um, any favors whatsoever. So so we end up fighting that, and, and I'm sure Katerina has encountered the same thing with conversations that you have with the general public about wanting to join the registry, or just curiosity questions. The first thing that comes out of their mouths often is, oh, I've heard that really hurts or I've heard that you can be paralyzed, or I've heard that you can um, uh, you, you can be damaged. And, and so we end up having to address that on a continuous basis. So going back to these myths, we had a question in the chat room mm -hmm. about risks. 
um, r risks of graph host. But even before we get to the complexities of what that is, the stigma really is around risk. People think that, I mean, I don't know how many people watched ER or watched that episode, but the stigma is that, like, like they ha they're going to have to go to mm -hmm. a hospital, get cut open, lose a limb, and save a life, right? Right, right, right. And, um, yeah, I mean, that, that's exactly what it is. And I think once we get past that and we explain how the procedure works, so today there's two primary ways of donating. There is the traditional bone marrow collection, and we do that about 25% of the time. And we do that typically for pediatric patients, so children, young kids in particular, who need a bone marrow transplant. That's typically the, the collection that the transplant doctor wants to have for their patient. And the rest of the time, 75% of the time, we do a peripheral blood stem cell collection, and that's where the donor receives injections of a drug called filgrastim. And what that does is it revs up the immune system and pushes all of those immature cells that are typically just kind of hanging out in the bone marrow out into the peripheral blood. And then the donor um, is collect is um, goes through a collection procedure, much like a platelet phoresis collection where they're sitting in a chair, it's done outpatient, it may take four or so hours, um, but uh, that's our primary uh, source of collecting donors today. So question for everybody, there has yet to be a celebrity with blood cancer that got a, that did not get a bone marrow transplant that you can exploit the crap out of? Yeah, basically. <laughs> not that I'm aware of. How about you, Katerina? Do you know of any? No, but in Poland, DKMS Poland, they had a really famous singer, and um, actually the girlfriend was more famous, and they recruited in Poland 100,000 donors. Wow. They registered 100,000 donors within like two months. and That's impressive. You know, in Poland, so it's like a really small yeah. country. Yeah, yeah. And, um, you know, I think we have That's a lot of work to do here in the U.S. There's so many people here. We have like what yeah. 300 million people in this country. I know, it's, yeah, including it's all of, in, of <laughs> us immigrants, <laughs> right, Alina? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you furners. The immigrants say. can also help. <laughs> right, exactly, exactly. Yeah, that's unfortunate. Like it's a shame it takes a celebrity to go through something for anyone to care about. It. Well, I think a celebrity, a lot of them are pretty private about their actual treatment, yeah. at least until their years beyond. Well, did Evan Handler have a bone marrow transplant? He had stem cell. I don't he know. did. He did. He did have bone marrow. Yeah. Oh, so yeah, go. that's oh, right, he did. Yeah, yeah that's right. Well, Forgot I don't think they're that. making sex in the city three, so <laughs> go track him down. He's in L.A. somewhere. He's been on our show. We should maybe have him see if he'll talk about it. Yeah, he's he's, uh, he's been on my show a couple of times, and um, my show. My show. We'll talk off the line. No, he's a good man. And you're right, he was diagnosed as a young man in the 80s before, like, yeah. well, yeah. let me, uh, here's a question, myths. Have there is there is there progress in the bone marrow transplant process, or is it exactly the same as it was twenty or thirty years ago? Or how old is bone marrow transplants? Oh boy, transplants go back to I think the initial ones were done in the in the thirties. Wow. Yeah, a long, long time ago, and the the real research started taking off in about the 50s and 60s when we started understanding how matching worked. And um, the first, I, I want to say sibling transplants, see you're catching me on my history here, I think the first sibling transplants took place in the 70s, and then the unrelated transplants started taking place in the early 80s. Uh, but yeah, transplant has changed dramatically. Um, I've been with the organization for 16 years, 
And when I first started here, we rarely transplanted anyone over the age of 35 and never transplanted anyone over the age of 50. And now we transplant um, persons well into their 60s and 70s because the conditioning regimens have changed and the outcomes have improved so much. Um, I know this is an area that Emily has um, a lot of experience in. Yeah, excuse me, I have a little bit of a cold today. Um, there have been a lot of changes in clinical practice that lets transplant be an option for many more patients. As Mary mentioned, our age range has greatly expanded from when it first started. Um, additionally, we have preparative regimens that are different now and can respond better to patients' disease and their specific conditions. So, for example, there's a reduced intensity preparative regimen that uses less chemotherapy to prepare a patient for transplant. And overall outcomes have improved um, quite a bit. Uh, but we're, what we're finding is that <clears throat> the timing of transplant really matters, that as soon, the sooner a patient is consulted for transplant and if that's the right treatment for them can move along that path, the better their outcome will be. So is the issue, and again, open to anybody, the issue really standards of care, that it's just not part of the process that that the patient is made aware of, like I almost is it fair to hearken this to clinical trials where it just it then it's not thought of in, in, along the way if you're not pediatric mm -hmm. is is it that simple it's just not in the mindset well i I think that can be true. I think that there's um challenges with uh re referring physicians and and primary clinicians um who who may not necessarily believe in unrelated transplant or have any experience with it. So um, where they prefer just to treat the patient locally with chemo um, and not necessarily get them into an unrelated transplant program for consultation. So, you know, th there's awareness with referring physicians too. Um, the, the advances have changed so much to the point now that um, Unrelated transplant outcomes are almost identical to sibling transplant outcomes in terms of uh, long-term survival and um, I think graft-versus-host disease. So it's it's an even better option than what it was 10 years ago. So take us back to the, the donors again. What are the qualifications? Who's ruled out in terms of somebody who can't be a donor? Katerina, do you want to take that one? Well, I mean, actually, for us, for DKMS... Alina's taking this one. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Go ahead. Um, well, we register donors um, between the ages of 18 to 55. I know you guys at the NMDP go up to 60, and it's really yeah. um, good general health. So we do have a list of eligibility criteria, which are fairly forgiving. You know, obviously, you know, no HIV, no severe heart disease, no severe asthma, and, um, you know, no no history of cancer, of course, no severe back pain or surgeries, you know, things like that. Because you will have that sort of stiffness or that soreness in your Right, in back, case you, you do donate a, yeah. through the, exactly, in okay. case they do extract the cells directly from the marrow of the bone, they don't want to basically endanger the donor. I mean, the bottom line is when you have these eligibility criteria, it's both not to put the patient in danger of getting unhealthy cells, and at the same time, of course, as a donor center, we have to protect our donors. So that's why we never want someone who would be at a higher risk to even go through the process of giving their cells to a patient. So the question, yeah, I guess... And that's absolutely true. I was going to say, how do we make bone marrow hip? 
<laughs> I mean, we are an organization that focuses on trying to make cancer relevant and hip to a generation that can give when activated. We started the show out talking about Penn State and their THON event that raises $8 million from undergraduates who all get behind this. And like and Lindsay at Duke, they got a whole university around this girl. What is it going to take to make this something that, and this is more rhetorical than anything else, but are there marketing strategies? Are there... Uh, Kim Kardashian has to become a bone marrow donor. <laughs> right, right. Well, George, George uh, Clooney has malaria now, so maybe that's a step in the right direction. He does? Yeah, he got malaria while he was in yeah, Africa. He's, yeah, I think it's his second oh. bout, if I'm not mistaken. Oh. Yeah. I read that in the paper. Yeah. Hmm. Wow, okay. So let's get so him to do a... Yeah. Let's go dunk him in some nuclear waste tank. No. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, to oh, answer boy. your... To answer your questioning a little bit, um, I think that what what I found fa- what I really find fascinating over and over again, you know, um, is to meet people like like we heard, like Lindsay's friends, who are so willing to help. And young people are so giving, and we have the most amazing donor stories from donors who register at colleges and they sign up and we inform them, and then they really come through, and it's very very touching because. You know, from when I when I first thought recruiting college donors, I, I thought, you know, man, when I was in college, I didn't do anything. I was just kind of, you know, concerned about myself, Were studying. You drunk? I love wine. I'm from <laughs> <laughs> and you know, and here are all, the, all these young people who, if you just sort of touch them in the right, you know, if you just like, yeah, really touch their hearts. And it sounds cheesy, but I think when when you empower p- young people to help, they really they really come through, and um, that's what we're trying to kind of, um, I think, right, Alina, that's mm-hmm. what we're trying to speak to. Exactly. Get swabbed. <laughs> and that is, again, it's just it's just a swab, the initial test, right? Exactly. But it, people are afraid. They're, is it, they're afraid that they're going to get matched, right? Well, I, I mean, there might be that initial hesitation, but like what Katerina was saying, um, what we're finding is that, you know, they might be hesitant and they might be uh, a little nervous, but the whole idea of them feeling empowered, they're actually excited to be a match. Right. And they want to mm-hmm. share it with their friends when they are a match. Mm-hmm. You know, they want to blast it out to everyone. It's like it becomes this whole big thing, right? you know, where they take videos, pictures, I mean, you name it, and they love to love to talk about it. So in in terms of the reality of bone marrow, what are the outcomes? I assume everything's different with every patient, but has it been proven to to save lives. Yeah, I mean yeah, it, it, absolutely. It, yeah, I mean standard of care for a number of of diseases, you know, the leukemias and lymphomas, it's it's standard course of therapy. So, yeah, definitely. Right. So, I mean, I I planted that as a question because yes, it would make sense in a perfect world that we can say you can actually save a life. What are yep. the odds of matching? Like where it's amazing our genomics and our genetics are so different and, and diverse. If you were to, I don't know if this has ever been crunched before, but let's say you got a million people to swab. Is there any magic crunch machine you could run that through that estimate how many people that might match? It all depends on the recipient. I mean, we get this question often, and it, you know, our HLA is so unique in that, you, you know, you almost have to have um, 
you know, it's like uh, having a custom shirt with four foot long sleeves and a seven inch wide neck. So how many of those are out there in need of a transplant? I mean, you, you just don't know. Um, so I, I, that, it's so hard to quantify that number, Matthew, because you no, know like maybe said, those are questions people get asked. Like, all right, well, if you get a thousand, you don't if, I, know. if I can help you get a thousand donors, how many people is that going to help? Well, I think depends that depends on recipients. Yeah. yeah. No, it depends on the recipients, but um, you know, from our donors, we always tell them, if you're afraid that you're going to match, don't register. I mean, that's, that's always right. the most important message right. to our donors because you might be the one and you might be the lucky one. Um, mm-hmm. On average, you know, it goes from if I'm I'm ex patient, right, and so it could be one in twenty thousand that I have a donor, right? So if they're random people of twenty thousand, or it could be one in several million. I mean, we're in a situation right now that um, I think, um, and maybe Emily or Mary, um, I think the goal for the for the U.S. Um, transplants via the NMDP is um, 10,000 transplants by 2015. Is that correct? Yes, that's correct. Correct. So, you know, right now we're about at 5,000. So, I mean, if you can mm-hmm. imagine, um, we want to double that number in really, you know, in a okay. short period of time. Well, how long does it take to get to 5,000? How long? Well, we've been at this since, we do 5,000 a year now, and we've been at this since mid-'80s. Um, but when we look at how fast uh, transplants are growing and, and um, becoming um, more of standard of care, 10,000 in the next four to five years does not seem too unreasonable. Well, is the level of people who you're getting to swab proportionally increasing the number of matches in any way? It makes an impact. I'll tell you, the biggest area of impact is when we recruit minority donors. That's where we really see opportunity for patients, huge opportunities. So because we inherit our typing from our parents, we tend to match those who are of the same heritage and ancestry as we are. And minorities are underrepresented on the registry. So we really get a a big impact through minority recruitment. And just run through it again. What what do you tell sort of the the person who's eligible um, potential risks for the donor, if any? I mean, then there must be some some that you mentioned that could or 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 no. Anybody sure. So, Lena? Okay. Well, yeah. I mean, uh, and also in addition to the minority donors, I mean, it is important to mention that young people do make an impact as far as donors are concerned as well because they tend to be healthier. And, you know, if the patient has the luxury to have more than one match, there's a higher chance that they'll, the doctor will go with a younger donor. So certainly what, you know, Amanda, again, and her friends have done in honor of Lindsay has made a huge difference. Um, and in terms of risks, like I mentioned before, you know, because we're so careful and um, when the donor goes through the screening process, not only are they eligible, uh, you know, not only do they go through the initial eligibility list, I mean, they go through an extensive physical, they get a blood test, and, you know, they're, we're very, very careful as to who goes on to actually donate the cells. So when they give the cells to a patient, regardless of whether they get them directly from the bloodstream or from the marrow of the bone, the risks are very, very minimal. And I always say, you know, people ask me all the time, is it painful? I mean, you know, 
everyone has a different pain tolerance. There's some people, especially men for some reason, who always complain, you know, needles, it's so scary. And, you know, you have women who, like, have five babies and, you know, they're ready to go again. So I always say it's relative, you know. I mean, of course, if you have cells extracted from your hip bone, it feels sore if you press on it the day after. Right, but you know, I mean, everybody. Yeah, and I mean, for example, you know, DKMS, we've done over twenty-six thousand trans, uh, you know, twenty twenty-four thousand transplants since my dad started DKMS, and knock on wood, you know, we never had any long-term effects. The short-term effects are soreness, and the for the other procedure is, um, you know, anesthesia, but it's a short anesthesia. Um, so, you know, thank God we never had any. I mean. Maybe the, you folks from the Edmund MDP want to add something, but obviously. Um, but it's not a full. It's not a full general anesthesia where you're not. Where you, are you? Are you intubated? Is it that much of a? Yeah, it takes mm-hmm. about. Okay. Yeah. yeah, it is. Okay. It's about what two hour procedure? Yeah, exactly. Right. Oh, so you are out. Yeah, thank out God you are out. You are out and out and out. Out cold. <laughs> yes, and you wake those really happy drugs. You wake up to. Exactly. Yep. Happy drugs. So does if you are a match. Does insurance cover the procedure, or do you have to pay to have it done? The the patient's insurance covers it. I mean, the donor. So like, if I'm a match for somebody, does it cost me yeah. money? To, nothing. No. Okay. No. Yeah, no. There's no cost to the donor. Okay. Yeah, it's covered and by the patient's insurance. don't bill your insurance. insurance. Right. Okay. Yeah, I, it's, I it's, it's covered by the, it, yeah, it's covered by the patient's insurance. We had a question in the forums here. i got to pull it back up. It had to do with um, the number of what the rate of people dropping off the registry due to age is versus the rate of new people joining the registry. So, yeah, we're recruiting faster than we are aging off, so that's a good thing. Good, good, good. And and, I, and like Kat, oh, I was going to say, like Katarina and um, Alina had commented about younger donors. Um, yes, that's a, a, a deliberate focus to to talk to younger donors about joining the registry. And for this age group, too, um, if there's not a donor drive going on in their area, they can go to the Be The Match website, and they can request a kit online. We mail mm-hmm. it to you, you swab your cheeks, and you mail it back, and you're good to go. Yep. So it's it, it's it literally is that easy. It's that easy. Yeah, it really is. I mean, it makes sense. Like, you know, this, should, this should be on the countertop at every Dwayne Reed. <laughs> <laughs> No, you're making a really yeah. good point, actually. Um, you know, with breast cancer and other types of, um, you know, diseases, it's been a huge – it's also a marketing, a big brand supporting the cause, and then it's really in people's minds. You know, if you think of Revlon and Estee Lauder. And, and with leukemia, I think we still have a long way to go. Um, I mean, DKMS did a campaign with Sally Hansen where we were in a bunch of magazines. Um, you know, we're working on other partnerships. But I really think that that's the way to go is you have to, you know, as a nonprofit, we don't have the money to pay for marketing campaigns. We, you know, we use 100% of our donations to pay for the registration fee. We never make it mandatory for our donor to pay for the for the $65 registration fee. So we need companies to support us in marketing and advertising. And I mean, so it actually, just makes sense that, like, yeah, exactly. something like this, if, imagine every prescription you fill the target, you went to the pharmacy and there was this thing there. Yep. Hey, it's like, would you like to donate a dollar to breast cancer? No, but I'll swab my cheek and throw it in a bin mm-hmm. and then mail it to you guys. Yeah, or Johnson and Johnson. Right. If they're listening out there. You're right, right, right. If we are using swab. <laughs> yeah. Q-tips. Q-tips. Yes, exactly. 
Oh, my God, Q-tips, Q-tips right there. That's what, exactly. Exactly. Or you yeah. go to, like, the, the, the R-tips, you know, off-brand Chinese company, and they'll do it. <laughs> well, look, if there was a TV show that was about uh, organ transplants, which there was, it's already canceled, though, called Three Rivers, and actually was based on a, a doctor who's at the Cleveland Clinic, then why can't there be a show that focuses on this? I at wish. least, at least, in a, at least, it, it, maybe the, not the entire show, but at least it, getting it out there. We need Emily to do a walk on on an episode of House. There, there you go. go. I could totally do that. <laughs> yeah, I would vote for that. That's a good one. House yeah. Could, house could, you yeah, know. Grey's Anatomy already screwed it up, although we yeah. love Grey's Anatomy. I mean, Justin. Yeah. But they, but <laughs> Justin Chambers, you know, he did a great PSA. But class, going but back to TV did. misrepresenting did, yeah. the realities of cancer, uh, what's her face? Um, she had the melanoma thing, and, like, the whole medical community went, went batshit because they totally, the writers messed up the whole diagnosis. On Grey's Anatomy. Yeah. yeah. The, Izzy had the melanoma with her brain, and then she had perfect flowing hair the next day and like it was just everyone went nuts how misrepresented it was so i think like you know like you said we need we need a a celebrity that had it that got through it or we need to write a movie that accurately makes it really cool to do it seth rogan needs to get a book needs to be oh my can you imagine yeah you got to do that. Yeah, I asked him to host our gala. So, Seth, if you're listening, you know, please say yes. Because <laughs> Seth is listening. Yeah. You never know. That's yeah. true. That's true. That would be great. Well, Will Smith, we well, think, is listening. Right. I hope so. Yeah, maybe he can He can do a, a, a new scene for seven pounds and just kind of reinsert it into the DVD. Right. Especially more accurate. Yeah, more accurate. Accurate view on things. So Matthew, can you put my email on your um, on your blog so you know if any of these hot men are listening? They oh yeah, can email me, they can email me directly. You mean Hugh Laurie no and, and George yes. Clooney? No worries. Not the just regular George hot men that troll my Facebook page. <laughs> ha- okay. Having to do with bone marrow transplant or just in general, if any hot men are listening? <laughs> in general, fine too. Yeah. Although I do love my husband, but Alina, Alina, maybe we should have Alina's email. <laughs> <Okay>. Thank you. <laughs> Need a date at bonemarrow.com. <laughs> no, it's getswab.org. Okay. Need, Long website. All right, need a date at, at getswab.org. Okay. Do we have all the, we have their sites on this show? But yeah, I'm no, we'll post all of their sites uh, in the chat room and whatnot. Um, we got a few minutes left. I really want to talk about, like, where you guys see trends. What are we looking at over the next couple of years? Well, are we going to see um, things like molecular medicine change the need for bone marrow, or will there always be a need for bone marrow transplants in blood cancers? And the reason I ask is because we have a very heavy involvement with stand-up to cancer, and they're all about these molecular genomic translational research studies, which are turning mainstream research on its ear. Do you see any of that playing a role in the future of blood cancer treatment through BMT? Open it up to any any one of you. I think, oh, go ahead. I was, boy. I mean, that's such a that's a huge question. Um, yeah, we're very serious here on occasion. Yeah, I like that. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I think it'll definitely have an impact. I think probably what we're going to see more in the near future is the engineering of the bone marrow graft to be more uh, uh, targeted to the patient's disease. You know, one of the side effects to the transplant is called graft-versus-host disease. And, um, you know, a little bit of graft-versus-host disease is not a bad thing because it burns out the leukemia or the lymphoma. Too much of it can be fatal. So it's that fine balance that the physicians are looking for, you know, to, to reduce relapse 
but not create complications. So, you know, and when we transplant an immune system, which is what a transplant is, there's a whole myriad of cells that do all kinds of different things that are kind of in this, you know, soup. So I would think that they will be engineering the graft to to focus in and hone in on certain cells that do certain functions and and orchestrate the transplant, I think, a whole lot differently. Um, there's also been some new drugs that have been targeted, um, you know, monoclonal antibody therapies that have have a real um, specific target to the to the cancer itself. So there'll probably be more, a lot more of those on the horizon. Um, yeah, I mean, whenever I don't when, know. Yeah, whenever I talk to, um, you know, obviously we're in touch with a lot of those um, really smart doctors at, you know, at Sloan, and you know, we obviously, you know, it's always so interesting to learn from the hematologists and bone marrow transplant physicians and when you talk to them it it sounds like it's a, it's we, we are not that close to that i mean you know it's kind of far away i mean we would be out of business so i'm always really curious but um i think no all jokes aside but i think one thing that has been um really great especially for minorities is cord blood and the nmdp has been doing a fantastic job of um you know encouraging cord blood and um putting all the cord blood banks together and oftentimes when we work with patients, that's really their only chance of survival mm-hmm. because they just there are not enough minorities on the registry. So then they go to cord bloods, and cord bloods don't need the high level of matching as um, through the as an adult donor. So. so my wife and I did cord blood with our kids. Does that mean that that cord blood could be someone else's hope? Yeah, I hope you put it on the on the. Uh, on the public registry. I think I yeah, did. did. You, I'll, I'll did check. Did you donate it or did you pay? <laughs> well, we paid. Oh, that then you oh, did. Yeah, then you didn't. Yeah, that's yeah, a private thing. Yeah, but can you elect to have like a a chunk of it sent somewhere else? No, you need no. a certain cell count. Okay. So the, that's what we say. I always say it's a very private decision. You know, obviously because you're talking about your cord, most people can't afford to even bank it themselves because it costs a lot of you know it costs some money and um, but. You know, I think if you, it's a it's a personal decision, but if you can, you know, if you can bank it and give it to the public bank, I think it's a great thing to do. So how does one go about doing that exactly? And is that is that costly or no? No, it's a public you, bank. No, that doesn't cost any money. Um, yeah, you would um, on our website on uh, bethematch.org. There's a if you uh, type in cord blood donation. There are a list of participating collection hospitals where they're already connected to a cord blood bank. So if you deliver at one of those hospitals, um, the you have the option of donating to the cord blood bank. Um, we also have a, a, a pilot project. It's a kit model project where um, if a mom is interested and she's not at one of those sites, she can call and have a kit sent to her and um, have the blood collected by her nurse, midwife, or physician, and then send it in for storage. So I guess the moral of the story is, like, there's definitely been progress. There's still much to be mm-hmm. done. But where, what's going to be that spark that gets bone marrow transplants to be super hip? I wish I could give. I can't. Because the, the rule is if you've already had cancer, you're ineligible for life, right. correct? Yeah. Right. right. Well, yeah. I mean, I had Chernobyl radiation. I wouldn't even want my own blood, but I'm forced to have it. So, <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm off the list too, unfortunately. Yeah. You just get your friends to recruit. 
I mean, you right. have you tell few, everybody. Yeah. You have us here on the show. I mean, I think you're doing a huge thing for. I mean, we're we're so thankful that you invited us. Right, and we have so many listeners. I think this is something I personally wa- I get lots behind. Lots of co-survivors. I lots mean, of it, friends. It's, there's no cost. Yeah. There's no competition. You can only help people. Why not mm-hmm. just be a bone marrow donor? Right. Exactly. GetSwab.org, people. Yeah, that's it. Sign up. Be the and match think, and get swabbed. Well, and I think we heard before, there's just this kind of hesitancy or fear. You know, they just they don't really, you know, understand. I have to share with you, because I don't think it came across on my bio, Matthew. I was an unrelated donor when I was 25. And, um, you know, next to being a mom, it was the greatest experience of my life. It really was. Tell us, I mean, flesh that out for us. Tell us more about it being the greatest experience of your life for you. To to have that, that ability to possibly save somebody's life and knowing that you have something that the physicians don't even have, I mean, you have hope. You, you're giving that patient hope for survival, and what an amazing gift! Yeah, that's true. And it was it was remarkable. I wanted to just ask before we before we wrap things up here. Uh, I wanted to ask Katerina. You mentioned that your dad founded DKMS. Yeah, my, um, when I was um, 14, my mother had leukemia, and she had six siblings, and none of them matched. So my dad literally started a movement back in Germany, and there were only 3,000 unrelated donors on the registry, and within a year they recruited 68,000 donors. Wow. And now we're the largest um, single bone marrow donor center in the world with over 2.6 million donors. So I kind of, you know, I opened the New York arm, the U.S. arm with my dad um, in 2003, and but he's really, you know, obviously created a movement, and because of him, 24,000 people got a second chance at life. So I'm mm-hmm. really, you know, for me it became my life mission, and I'm really thankful to him and proud that I can you know can I, that I can be a part of it. We need a little more unnarcissism in this country. <laughs> we need unnarcissism. I made that word up because it doesn't exist and you all know it doesn't exist. People don't want to do it because they don't want to help or they don't know they can help or they're afraid and they choose not to. But I think it's I think it's we've been talking about it's overcoming that hurdle because people really do feel empowered when they know that they can do but something. But you have to great. make it easy. You have to walk up to the Walgreens counter and say, "Oh, look, I'm gonna lick a wall and I'm done. Yeah, but I mean, I have to. I have to say though, I do generally believe that people are good, and it really is a matter of more people knowing about what they can do. I mean, how much easier can it be than going on a website, filling out, you know, an address and a name, and getting a kit with the swab mm-hmm. to your house? Right. I mean, we provide even postage for them. Like you don't even have to leave your couch. I mean, it's so easy already as it is. So I think it really is a matter of. Putting the word out there because you know what? The more people know about it, of course this isn't for everyone, but we're going to get some good ones out there and um, we can register millions it's of donors. Just a, it's just know? a cotton swab inside the cheek, correct? Yes. But you know what? Right. I know you what? don't have to pay. That's sweet. Really and when you don't you, have to pay. I'll tell you when you're going to get recruitment. When you can spit on an iPhone, <laughs> <laughs> then you'll get recruits. Yeah. Is there an app for that? Yeah. Is there, <laughs> I don't think there's an app for that. <laughs> Ispit.com. Right. Exactly. Well, maybe we can get the guys at Google to help us out. Yeah. In, in case any of you are listening, yeah. you know, um, I think it's Sergey Brin's wife, right? She does like all this DNA research stuff. Right, 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 right. So we've made a plea to Johnson and Johnson, Will, Will Smith, <laughs> and Seth Rogen, and Walgreens, any other Target, and, and Sergey Brin. Right, right exactly. exactly. All right, we've about covered it. I think we we have the new sponsors now. 
Well, we might have lost some others. So. <laughs> All righty. You guys have been great. This has been a phenomenal show. I'm really, really uh, humbled and um, and uh, just just overwhelmingly thankful that you took the time to be on the show to discuss this. A very important topic, like I said, one of the most on-demand topics for this season. We hope our listeners enjoy, spread the word, and please be in the match, get swabbed, get, get out there. Get swabbed, spit spread the cup, word. Spit in a cup and help people. How's that? <laughs> That's my phrase, spit in a cup and help people. All right, thank you so much, guys. You take thank care you. and have a wonderful year. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, thank bye-bye. You. Bye-bye. I mean, it really, it should just be. Amanda, how do we do? Great. Yeah? yeah? Would Lindsay be proud? I'm sure she is. Okay, okay. We hope Lindsay's listening. This, this is what we do. We do for people like we need people like you and Lindsay to go on when Oprah's gone, but to go on, I don't know, Ellen, right, in a perfect world, and say, this is what you can do. You can help these people. You can do this. I know. It's right. hip to get marrow from your hip bone. Yeah. I don't know. I'm <laughs> hip bone. I'm trying to make this. No. That, no. that pun doesn't really work. No, no, no. We'll have an offline conversation. <laughs> <laughs> All right, that's our show. I had a, we had a great time. You had a good time. I had an excellent time as she, always. She keeps showing up, so she has a good time. Mm-hmm. All right, mm-hmm. and now it is time for our closing sequence. Prepare to activate. Uh, I hear there's rumors on the uh, internets. You ever seen a grown man naked? And so, to all of you, a fond farewell. Hooray, I'm helping. You are a meathead. Oh, Magoo, you've done it again. That was so terrible, I think you gave me cancer. Okay, folks, that is tonight's show, our 167th broadcast. We hope you had as much fun as we did poking a stick at stupid cancer. Matthew? Yes, we'd like to thank our guest. I am awake. Amanda's willing, our live in-studio guest, James Manning, and from DKMS and the National uh, Maradona Program, Karen Harf, Alina Supernova, Emily Peterson, and Mary Hallett. Next week's show, January 31st, is Clinical Trial Myths in our Survivor Spotlight, Meredith Israel, young adult survivor, stage 4 breast cancer, and a volunteer at the Max Cure Foundation, Nita Seibel, MD, senior investigator, clinical investigation branch, at the Cancer Therapy Evaluation Program at the National Cancer Institute, Stephen Friedman, Chief Clinical Trials Operations and Information Branch at the Division of Cancer Treatment and Diagnosis at the National Cancer Institute, and Deborah Vollmer-Dalkey, Director of Clinical Trial Network at the Texas Life Science Foundation. All righty, folks, if you've missed any of our previous shows, please subscribe to the iTunes podcast and download them all at iTunes. Dot stupidcancer.com or check out the archives at stupidcancershow.com Remember folks, if it's not stupid it's not cancer. We'll see you all back here next week live from the chemo deck. Lisa Bernhardt, Captain Stupid and I wish you all a great week. Go to bed, Joe. Go to race. <laughs> Good night everybody. 